All right, welcome back to Church Public. I am Matt Odegaard, your host as always. Today we've got some good stuff on the show, or by good, I mean maybe sad, confusing, whatever, but this is Current Events from a Christian Perspective, where we look at current events and try to make sense of them and how you live your Christian life. So today we are talking about Library Story Hour, Library Reading Hour, and we're actually going to go from pride to pastors. That's a really good uh, it's a really good story, so if you make it to that one, I think you will enjoy it. Then we have... Um, a lady in the UK who was arrested for praying silently. Yes, this really happened, so we have to get to that. That is a sad and kind of weird story. Then we have, uh, I know it's not Christmas anymore, but but bear with me because this is one of my favorite carols that has been transformed from what it was to something else. God rest ye merry gentlemen, to God rest ye queer and questioning. Uh, we just have to talk about that because, again, it's one of my favorite carols and it makes me sad. So finally, we've got a couple other things going on. We'll get to those when we get to them. But as always, I'm Matt Odegaard and this is Church Public. All right, welcome back to Church Public. I'm Matt Odegaard, again, your host. If you haven't already, go to, you know, go to the uh, go to the website, churchpublic.com, check out some things there. We've got any of the podcasts that you've missed in the past, of which there's like 280 of at this point. Um, so that's a lot. I mean, I was thinking about that the other day as I was reviewing what's coming up this year, what we're going to do, some of the plans that I have, and some of the things that I have previously done. There's like 280 episodes. So I mean, if something there doesn't interest you, I don't know what to tell you. Anyway, I appreciate all of those that have listened and supported thus far. And uh, while some of it is timed according to news cycles, some of it is just great timeless truths, because that's what I really try to give you is how do we live in this Christian life? And I'm going to actually one of the goals that I have this year is to do more of that. That's actually where we'll start in just a moment. We'll start with what do we do in this Christian life? How do you actually live? So check out the podcast if you haven't already at all of the podcast places like Apple and Spotify and uh, Google and all the other places. Like them, subscribe to them, do all the things that you need to do there. Share this if it is helpful at all to you, because I, this isn't for me. This is for you. This is a labor of love. Quite literally takes time, energy, and um, if this is helpful to you, maybe you think it might be helpful to somebody else. That's that's the best way to get the word out because I just want to help Christians, regular Christians. You don't have to be a pastor. You don't have to have gone to seminary. You don't have to have all of the crazy books that I have behind me that talk about all kinds of wacky theologies and good theologies and all the theologies and all the ologies, um, philosophies and things you just need to live your life as a Christian. And it's really not that hard. I know I say this a lot, but you just really have to grab this Bible and just do what it says. Uh, I know, that's that's revolutionary, but, but just try that. Anyway, so do that. Like, share, subscribe. If you want to go to churchpublic.com, you can get the video version there if you're just listening to the audio. Audio people, listen, I love you. I love you so much. I thank you for listening, supporting all of the years. I really, really love it. But if you want to have more information, visual information about what is going on, you may want to go and check out the video version. Even like today, we're going to look at some pictures. We're going to look at some images. We're going to look at some videos. You might want to watch those. So you can go to YouTube. You can go to churchpublic.com. Again, most of them are on YouTube because mostly they're on there. Some of them are not because YouTube didn't like me on those particular ones for various reasons. Doesn't really matter at this point. But 
churchpublic.com will have your videos there. I think it's under the podcast tab at the moment. Anyway, you can search around the site and find it. Okay, so here's where we're starting today. Um, I was reading, uh, as I do, um, and researching and, and trying to figure out where, where I wanted to start here. And, and here's where I want to start. Um, and, and this has a little bit to do with some of the news stories, but really this is just the foundational general information that I want to give you more of so that you can just be a regular Christian out there doing Christian things and living a Christian life. Because that's really what I want to help give you the tools to do. And I'm going to do my best to do that in normal language because a lot of these books behind me are in super theological, philosophical language, and it's hard for regular people to understand what in the world is this talking about. I get that, and, and I try to give normal language as much as I can because I think that's important. It's important for us. You don't have to know all of the giant $7 words to understand how to live and, and be a good follower of Jesus. So I want to help you with that. But there are some concepts that you have to understand. There are some things that you just have to know so that you can make sense of this world. Because if you just look at some of the things that are going on in the world, you just feel like you're going crazy sometimes. Or at least I do. I feel like I'm going crazy sometimes and that like common sense has just left the room. There's no more common sense. These things people should know, they just don't know. And and as I was thinking about that and thinking about common sense and, and thinking about some of the things that I've seen over the past couple of years, some of the things that I see coming this year, um, this is where it led me. Um, so what I want to start with is this idea that love is love. I want to start with that again. I know I've talked about that in the past, but I want to start with it again because I think this is a foundational piece that... The culture gets wrong, and there's a very specific reason for why the culture gets it wrong and why I'm going to propose God is right on this one. So love is love, or if you want to get into the bigger terms, this is an idea about moral reasoning uh, and the foundation for what is moral. What are uh, What does morality come from? Where do laws come from? Why, why does this all Found, why is it founded on something, not yourself? Because love is love is a concept that is just, it doesn't make sense. And I'm going to talk about that. So what this really is about is the contrast of what this culture is saying with what God is saying. And God says he is love. Over various places throughout the Bible, God says he is love. And we'll look at a couple of those in a minute. God is love. So love is love. It just doesn't exist. It doesn't make sense. It cannot make sense. Love must come from outside of you. Love cannot create love. Nothing can create itself. That, that's part of the problem that we run into over and over and over again. Love just cannot create love. So let me talk about me for a moment because uh, this might make more sense. I don't know. This, this may be helpful or not. One of the gifts that I happen to have is the power of one simple question. Now, I know this is going to sound weird, but this is just a truth about me. Um, so I have this gift, and I have this gift of one simple question. Now, unfortunately, this gift is also a curse. And if you know me, you know this is true. And I'll show you the reason in just a second. This one simple question can illuminate the foundation of many different things. But unfortunately, it can also get you into all kinds of trouble. And this is this is part of the problem. So this one simple question is, is the foundation of all different kinds of things. And uh, I mean, this made me if you're if you're just watching, I, I just think this is funny. But but this, this made me think of, of this, uh, 
uh, what was the movie called? City Slickers, where where the old cowboy's like, there's just this one thing. And if you learn this one thing, then you'll know everything. And, and of course, the guys that are riding with him are like, what's the one thing? And he's like, and then I think he dies in the movie. I haven't watched the movie in years, but it's hilarious because he's like, there's just this one thing. And then he dies and they don't know the one thing. And anyway, that's kind of what the movie's about. But but my point is that this is kind of what we're talking about here, right? There, there's this one thing and this one question that that can really illuminate it can really help you understand all of all of the problems that this culture has and and here here it is it the question is why i know i know that sounds too simple it's just it's why i thought about this the old cowboy from from the city slickers movie right but here here's my illustration right somebody comes up to you in grade school or something and says hey the recess is over you need to stop playing soccer on the field and you wanting to keep playing soccer, recognize this person wants to be in charge and they want to act like the teacher and they want to tell you what is right and wrong and they want to tell you what to do. I think we've all had this experience at some point in time. But the simple response that for whatever reason my brain is wired to is why? Or to put it another way, well, who put you in charge? You're not in charge. You're not the boss of me. That's just what my brain goes to. For whatever reason, that's just what's inside me. Maybe I'm just rebellious. I can admit that sometimes, but I'd like to think there's something deeper going on here. I just really want to know the reason why. Why do I have to do what you say? Who put you in charge? Through a lot of experiences personally, through a lot of thinking and sometimes getting in trouble, I realized this is actually the foundation of morality. This is the base of critical thinking and moral reasoning. This is the base of knowing what you're supposed to do and why you're supposed to do it. Some of you might be like this. When someone wants you to do something and you're not sure whether it's right or wrong, you ask why. And there's a great power in this if you ask it in the right way. And I've learned that sometimes the hard way over the years. To know the foundation of something brings more meaning and understanding. When I teach leadership, I actually teach this. If the person you're leading knows why you're asking them to do something, they're much more likely to do the thing you want them to do. People react much better to why more than what. This just happens to be true. Now, since we're not talking specifically about leadership right now, we'll, we'll talk about it more later, but this gets us to the current day. This is about these moral commands that we all have seen over the past several years and beyond like drive a hybrid car or an electric car, stop using plastic straws, fight for choices like reproductive health, whatever that means, save the planet, eat the bugs, don't assume someone's pronouns, smash the patriarchy, end white supremacy. All of these and more are statements or imperatives or commands that you're told that you have to do. And I'm going to imply the same thing again. Why? Who put you in charge? Who says these are the right goals? And maybe some of them are, but who says? Who says this is the foundation of morality? Ultimately, you have to find the foundation. This is why this is important. This is what I have discovered. You have to figure out the answer to the question before you can know what is right. Who says it is right? Who says anything is right? Is it the government? Is it the celebrities, the politicians, the activists, the mob? Who says what is right? If any of those people I just mentioned or those groups that I just mentioned are where you get your truth, I'm just going to warn you, you're headed for a cliff and you're going to go off that cliff eventually. Because, and, and before you ask, what makes me so sure? How come I'm right on this? I'm going to defer to a higher power than me because I have found 
There is an answer and I didn't invent it. It's not from me. I didn't create this. I'm not smart enough. I'm not old enough. I'm not wise enough to have created any of this. And that actually is incredibly freeing. It's not about me. You can be mad at me for saying some of these things. You can be mad at me for saying whatever I say. But I I'm not responsible for creating truth. I just read the truth and try to live my own life by it. And I try to tell people what true things are so that they can live their lives by this truth as well. Paul, the great apostle, the great evangelist who planted more churches than anybody else and changed the entire ancient world, says it this way. You can't measure yourself with yourself. In other words, this whole live your truth, this whole love is love, it's just not possible. He says it this way. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they are not wise. 2 Corinthians 10, 12. In other words, if you yourself come up with the rules for yourself, that is not wisdom. That's just you making up your own rules and then trying to live by them, which, by the way, you can't even live by your own rules. If you think that's not true, just think about the rules that you have for yourself and see if you hit them today. This love is love. It's just a meaningless idea. You, you can't measure your own love with your own love. You can't measure yourself with yourself. The only real love comes from God because God is love. Hear that. God is love. The Apostle John tells us that God is love. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 8. Love is not something that God decided to do one day. Love is a characteristic of who God is and how he operates towards us. John doesn't say that God has love. John says God is love. That is an attribute. It's a characteristic of who God is. And this is eternal love. It's eternal. It's outside of the world. It's outside of you. God's love is eternal. God's love is never ending. And God's love is not changing. God is an unchanging God. Yesterday, today, forever, God is the same. He doesn't have, um, as this next verse will read, he doesn't have variation or shadow due to change. God is the everlasting God. There's all this cultural silliness and progressive ideology that says things keep progressing and changing towards some unknown utopia or paradise. That's not who God is. God is God. God is love. God is perfect. God is unchanging already. Nothing we can do can affect that or change that. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, it's God, with whom there is no variation, no shadow due to change. James 1.17. And there's this old hymn called Great is Thy Faithfulness, which I really like, that says, There is no shadow of turning with thee, literally from this very verse. I started by saying, love must come from something, from somewhere, from someone that is not you. There are two paths unfolding in front of us right now in the culture today. One is a world where love comes from love, meaning love comes from you or someone else in the culture. You are the source of love, live your truth. Therefore, the culture, the politics, the schooling, marriage, men and women all find their definition in what you decide. Love is love equals, well, this chaos that we see all around us. The other path is to find love, real love, outside of yourself in something else. This love is really only found in God, who is love. God even made a way for love to enter this world in one place at one time in one person, and that is Jesus. We just celebrated his birth in December. 
Any moral framework of the culture, of politics, of community, of family based on God's love will reflect those characteristics of God. They will be good and perfect love. I know we don't always do the good and perfect things, but the culture will reflect that because that is our goal. That is our foundation. These attributes, this moral framework based on God's love will not change like shifting shadows, as we just read. They will not progress into some unknown utopia that someone invented. They don't need to change because God is love. God does not change. Love that comes from God is perfect. So this is the choice that we have to make while we were living this life. Do you choose Christ and his perfect love, or do you choose the chaos that is formed by choosing your own definition of love and morality and family and man and woman, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? There's only one way to go, and really, I hope you choose the right way. So let's get to some news. All right, so um, we got a lot of news going on. There's a lot of crazy things going on in the world, and we'll just start with a few of them today. The first that I'll start with, unfortunately, is this hymn. And uh, hymn, Christmas Carol, whatever, God rest you, merry gentlemen, it is one of my favorite carols. I, I have led this carol more times than I can count. I have read it. Uh, I've led this song over and over and over again because I love what it says. And that's one of the beauties of old hymns, old carols that are written more than five years ago. The truth theologically that they contain often is really, really deep. That's why I referenced Great is Thy Faithfulness earlier. This is a hymn or a carol like that. So now we have a new, uh, what do I say? A new wording of this carol that just came about. And I know we just passed Christmas, but it, I think it's worth it to go back because this, uh, this topic, this trend goes out in several directions. So God rest you, Mary gentlemen, an English bishop is pushing back after a church choir sang a quote-unquote woke version of this popular Christmas carol injecting LGBT plus AAIP inclusive language into the song. This alternative version of God Rest You Merry Gentlemen has sparked a fresh debate over Christmas traditions within the church. In a Monday night carol service, again this was several weeks ago, the All Saints with Holy Trinity Church Choir and I'm going to mess up this English pronunciation, but I'm going to say Labra performed an updated version of the classic Christmas hymn. The new lyrics, according to them, were more inclusive, honoring women and queer people within the carol. Now, before we get to how they changed it, I want to talk about the carol itself, because I think this is really the foundation, just as we talked about earlier. It is, again, one of my favorite Christmas carols, and it happens to be one of the oldest Christmas carols there is. Um, written somewhere in the 16th century, it was printed even up into the 1700s, but it is old. It's been around for a long time, and it's been known by different names through history, including God Bless You, Merry Gentlemen, and God Rest G excuse me, God rest ye merry Christians and a bunch of different things that are very similar there. It even, whether you knew this or not, made an appearance in Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, which happens to be one of my favorite Christmas stories. More on that another time. But it made an appearance in that story when Scrooge is terrifying carol singers with his foul temper. I love this because, again, this is a great story of transformation. But the novel reads... 
quote, at the first sound of God bless you, merry gentlemen, may nothing you dismay, Scrooge seized the ruler with such energy of action that the singer fled in terror, leaving the keyhole to the fog and even more congenial frost, end quote. In other words, he was terrifying uh, or terrorizing these poor carol singers as they were singing God rest you, merry gentlemen for a specific reason, because of what the carol says about God and the reality of the world. This is just one of my favorites. And each year that I have led it, I have explained what the carol means, what the words say, because some of these words are a little bit older words, and we don't really know what they are or what they mean. I've just found that to be true in some way or another. God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray, tidings of comfort and joy. You see, Mary in this instance means to have hope, have joy, have peace. It's not like Merry Christmas, like we always say, God rest ye, comma, merry gentlemen. It's God rest ye merry, comma, gentlemen. Have peace guys, because Christ is born. And what does Christ do? Christ came to defeat the power of hell and Satan himself, even though we were far from God. That's that second line. I love that idea. That is a fantastic theological idea of the power and the grace of God that we have through faith in Christ. Now, I can admit I've been known to add a modern chorus now and then to a hymn to bring it into a more modern style. But that's something very different, where you reprise some of the theological ideas in a new chorus added or refrain added to an old hymn. I think that's something. You can argue whether that's good or bad. This is a rewriting of the hymn to change the theology. They want to actually change the meaning of the hymn, and this is something we must not do. And as an aside, if these songs are so important to you, or these ideas are so important to you, why don't you just make your own song? Why do you have to take an old song and change it into something like, where's your creativity? That's a side point. So here's the new lyric, and, uh, and then we'll talk about it. Here's the new lyric. God rest you queer and questioning, your anxious hearts be still. Believe that you are deeply known and part of God's goodwill for all to live as one in peace, the global dream fulfilled. Now, there's so much wrong with this. Um, I, I, I mean, it, it, it at first says that you are good and you are fine in your sin. And that's the opposite of what the old hymn said and the opposite of what theology really is. This says, God rest you queer and questioning, your anxious hearts be still, you're deeply known and part of God's goodwill. That is saying that no matter who you are, what you've done, what your sin is, you're fine. Don't worry about it. Just be good. That's not what Jesus says. He says we're broken in our sins. That's not what Paul says. Read Romans. Again, I know I go back to Romans a lot, but read, read some of Romans. Uh, you're not doing good. You're not doing good as you are. I'm not doing good as I am. Like, I can freely admit that. That is the grace and the glory of God. Not that you're okay as you are that you're not great as you are. Uh, and then it goes on to say, for all to live as one in peace, the global dream fulfilled. I literally don't know what that means, but that's not good. We don't have a global dream unless you're talking about the global kingdom of God where he comes down with his wrath in Revelation, uh, which if you think that's a good time for the world, you might want to read Revelation again because 
it doesn't go well for most people in the world. Or read Matthew 25, which is one of the most terrifying passages, I think, in the Bible, where Jesus separates out the sheep and the goats and looks at some of the people who think they're sheep, who think they're Christians, who think they're following God, and Jesus says, go away from me, I never knew you. Like, if that doesn't stir your heart a little bit to say, like, oh, God, I have messed up in my life and I need to change, I your, your heart is too hard and I got nothing for you. Anyway... That's why this bothers me so much, because here's what I have seen after years of being a worship leader. People will sing what you put in front of them, sometimes without thinking. There is good in that, and there is terrible power in that. If you put bad, untheological, unspiritual, or anti-Christian words in front of them, they'll just sing it, and it will become part of them, and they'll hum it later and go like, oh, I like that, maybe I believe that. That's a terribly dangerous place, and we need to be careful about what we put in front of people. But I would say, and this is just a guess, perhaps that's the intention here. A couple more lines of this one. More lines say, God rest you also women who by men have been erased. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Continuing, through history, ignored and scorned, defiled and displaced. I I don't even know what to say about that. We'll just keep going. Um, Needless to say, it's not great. Cardinal Vincent Nichols, the Catholic Archbishop of Westminster, took issue with the attended, uh, amended version of the song and the injection of progressive wording. He said this, and I, I want to read this because I think this is a, a good summary of what I'm saying. Quote, I think what Christmas does, and many other moments, is it tells us the importance of ritual. Ritual helps us to step outside of our own little bubble and connect with something we have received, inherited, and that we hope to pass on. These values are the continuation of musical repertoire, the ability to sing together, looking at the rituals that have been fashioned over centuries. These are probably, for me, more important than particular sensitivities which come and go. End quote. I completely agree. That's the point. The point is we do these things because they're older than us. We do these traditions because they have more foundation than just me. If you think that you are a blank slate and you get to invent whatever morality you want, you haven't been paying attention. And and really, that's a very prideful and selfish view. The fact that you think you're smarter than everyone else who has ever lived before you which is how you act if you intend these things, rather than saying, like I said at the beginning, I am definitely not smarter. I am definitely not wiser than most of the people that have gone before me, if not all of them. So I'm leaning to the Bible. I'm leaning to scholars who have spent way more time and energy into these things. And I want to say, hey, what do I not know so that I can live my life better? And how can I learn? So uh, let's see, what else do we want to say about this? Um, this new revised version retains only the first two lines of the original song. The quote about it is that, quote, we are striving to be an inclusive, eco-conscious, intercultural, worshiping community engaged with issues of social, racial, and climate justice, according to the church who wrote this song. Quote, we don't think we have all the answers, but for those who wish to journey with us in Christian belief and action, you will find a welcome here. Um, Not everyone was opposed to this song. A trainee, this is according to their description, a trainee priest, Rachel Bryn Search, who said, quote, love my church when posting a photo of the service bulletin online. Uh, Let's see. I think I have the, I think I have the the thing here. Let's see if I can put it up for you. So here, here are those new words. Um, So she said, I love my church posting a, a photo of this bulletin online. She says this, quote, My faith informs my politics, and I will never be sad or mad or apologize for attending a church which challenges me 
to think about them more and the policies being legislated in our name. Now, I, I think this actually is right. I think she's correct here. Faith informs politics, or at least it should. I've said that a lot. We, we've talked about culture or politics is downstream from culture. That's true. But culture is downstream from religion or faith. The faith that you have informs your culture, what you do, and that culture then is represented by politics, the policies that you put in place to guard the things that you do. That just makes sense. So she's exactly right here. Faith informs politics. Faith, which comes from God through knowing his holy word, leads to belief, which leads to action, especially in politics or in your view of the world or theology or culture or whatever you want to call it. However, what is clear in this conclusion is not that faith informs the politics, but rather the opposite. Politics is clearly informing her faith here. The lovely song that is birthed from theology, like Jesus shows us in Matthew 6 and John 1 and Luke 2, that is named God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen, is in this instance replaced with political language that finds its origin in LGBTQAIP hashtag plus plus ideology and critical race theory and queer theory and feminist goals. Just as a point of reference... This would be placing your politics into the church rather than letting the word of God inform your politics. We should continue to pray for those deceived by this not-so-subtle undermining of the foundation of Christianity, namely pray that the word of God, which they read, apparently, would so enter their hearts that they actually do what it says. All right, let's talk about a couple other things here. Um, so there is a British woman uh, who was arrested for praying silently. Now, this is a, this is a rather weird one, I would say. Um, Isabel von Spruce, the director of March for Life United Kingdom, was arrested on December 6th outside an abortion clinic. I know these are a little bit older, but I, I think this is still a really important thing. She was arrested because she, quote, might be praying in her head silently which she told police, which is considered a violation of the buffer zone around the facility. It is a public space protection order in this city. Now, I think what we should do is watch this video and then we'll see what she says directly. So let's give this a watch. All right, so my audio is not working. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to launch it and I'll just I'll just uh, read it for you um, because I think it's important to hear what this thing is saying. The police officer saying, before I ask you any questions about what's going on today, I want to caution you, which is your rights. You don't have to say anything. It may harm your defense if you don't mention what is questioned, something you later rely on in court. Anything you do or say may be given in confidence. Why are you here for today? She says, I'm just standing here. And he says, why here? I know you don't live here, but this is an abortion center, she says. So that's why you're here, he says. Because you're standing as part of a protest. No, I'm not protesting, she says. Are you praying? He asks. I might be praying in my head, not out loud. So I'll ask you once more, the police officer says, will you voluntarily come with us to the police station to ask some questions about today, about other days, where there are allegations uh, that you've broken public spaces and protection orders? Uh, if she says that, if I've got a choice, no. Well, then you're under arrest upon suspicion of failing to comply with public spaces protection order, which is under the Anti-Social uh, Act, as I mentioned. So he, here's the deal. Um, <laughs> he says, are you standing here praying? She says, well, I'm praying silently. And he says, well, 
if you're doing that, then that's a violation of this law. And will you come with me? And she's like, I don't want to. And he's like, well, then you're, you're coming with me. <laughs> so <laughs> she was not protesting. She didn't have a sign. If, if you didn't see the video, she didn't have a sign. She wasn't holding anything. I think she has her hands in her pockets most of the time, like dress pockets or whatever. Uh, she's standing silently. She is alone. She's not with a group of 10, 15, 20 people. She's just alone on the sidewalk. She is outside of an abortion clinic, but not outside. She's across the streets. She's just staring at it um, and, you know, not talking. She's silent. So no one actually knows what's going on in her head. And she is arrested because the guy says, hey, are you praying? And she's like, well, I might be praying. Then you're arrested because that is a violation of this public policy. So the uh, ADF UK is a legal group that's supporting her as part of its larger challenge to, to uh, this censorship zone law. Uh, there's a guy named Jeremiah. I'm not going to try and pronounce his last name because I'm going to mess it up. He's the legal counsel for the organization. He says, quote, Isabel's experience should be deeply concerning to all of those who believe that our hard-fought fundamental rights are worth protecting. It is astonishing that the law has granted local authorities such wide and unaccountable discretion that even now thoughts deemed, quote, wrong can lead to humiliating arrest and criminal charge, end quote. This is prosecution for thought crimes. I've mentioned 1984 many times. Um, that's what we're talking about. She is being prosecuted for something she's not doing and not saying. She's thinking something. She may be praying silently, but she's being arrested for that. And this article that I was reading about it even goes on to say, um, as part of her veil, excuse me, as part of her bail, Vaughn Spruce was told by the police she must not contact a local priest who was involved in pro-life work, but that condition was later dropped, which is good. However, listen to this part. Vaughn Spruce was told not to pray, even outside the buffer zone, to prevent further offenses. So this is really important to hear. Like, if she is not standing outside the abortion center, if she is Somewhere else, if she can't even see the abortion center, she was told you can't even pray there. Even if it's silent, you're not allowed to pray for this. What? Really? This is this is where we are. The government is saying to this lady, you're not allowed to pray about this. This this like partly infuriates me, but it harkens me back to Daniel, who was told by Nebuchadnezzar, hey, if you pray you're going to be thrown into the lion's den. And he went up to his window and continued to pray as he had previously done. His habit was to pray for the city. He would look out on the city. He would open his window so that everyone could see him, not as a act of, hey, look at me, an act of I am praying over the city, which he had done for presumably years, according to the passage, we don't really know how long. He prayed over them and said, hey, I'm gonna continue to pray and then was thrown into the lion's den. Whole long story, I won't get into that, but the point here is they do not want you to practice practice your religion outside of your home. I've talked about this before. It's just not okay with them, and they're beginning to criminalize these kinds of things. Yes, this is in the UK, but if you think they would not do that to you here, if they could, you have not been paying attention. More censorship zone laws are under consideration in the UK. Legislation that would apply across England, across Wales, Clause 9 of the Public Order Bill, currently under parliamentary debate, would prohibit pro-life volunteers from th these things. Influencing, advising, persuading, informing, even occupying space or oppressing opinion, expressing opinion within the vicinity of an abortion facility. If convicted under the proposal, a person could face, listen to this, two years in prison. 
So this is something we're going to have to keep our eyes on and see how far they go with this. And this reminds me of another situation that is going on in Canada right now. I know we're talking UK, we're talking Canada, but these things are Western countries. We are all in Western countries. They are further along morally or further down the trail morally than we are. So it's important to watch and see what are these countries doing because this type of thinking is coming here. We have leaders who are already thinking and proposing these types of things. So we turn to Canada, Jordan Peterson, uh, who uh, came to fame through his rants about different woke ideologies. I'm not going to get into all of them right now. He's written books um, that promote masculinity and standing up against some of these woke ideologies. He has podcasts, he has speaking tours, all of these things. But According to the Daily Wire, the College of Psychologists of Ontario called out Peterson for his political views on the range of issues and demanded he complete, quote, social media communications retraining, end quote, or face a suspension of his license to operate as a clinical psychologist. So in other words, he has to go to a re-education uh, camp, training, whatever you want to call it, or else he cannot be a licensed psychologist anymore. Uh, I read through a bunch of his things. I listened to a bunch of his interviews just to paraphrase and summarize them. He says that none of the people who complained were ever treated by him nor knew anyone who were actually treated by him. So these claims probably don't add up to anything, or at least allegedly we will find out. But it is a, it is a concerning story that this academy of psychologists is pressing down on him for expressing his views. Back in 2020, July, the college established an equity, diversity, and inclusion working group and published a commitment to anti-racism. Then in 2021, June, the Canadian regulatory body introduced Alison Kirschbaum, a self-identified queer psychologist whose approach informed feminist social scholarship in the values of diversity, inclusion, anti-oppression to give a presentation called ethical practice in the context of sexual and gender diversity. This presentation included a lesson of the gender unicorn. The gender unicorn is a graphic I have shown before. This graphic is intended to introduce people and children, especially. It is a cartoon. If you're not watching, I'm showing it on the screen here. You can look it up on any website, the gender unicorn by T-S-E-R. Um, it is supposed to introduce the concept of gender identity to whomever they show it to. And this is used in elementary schools and secondary schools quite a bit. I've uh, discussed this previously. I'm not going to get into the whole thing right now, but it has concepts like gender identity, gender expression, sex assigned as birth, physically attracted to and emotionally attracted to. It splits all of those out so that you are not a whole person. You are parts of a person, and you can change any of those parts as you see fit. The materials in the presentation included ideas like assigned sex, the idea that doctors can arbitrarily dictate a person's biological sex rather than observe it and record it. This is where we get into psychology, therapy, and even pastoral counseling, because Canada last year put a law in called Bill C-4, which I've talked about at length previously. You can go back on the podcast and listen to that, banning any form of therapy that does not affirm a child's chosen transgender um, uh, identity. And they label that conversion therapy. So again, I talked at length about this. I'm not going to get into it all, but here's the problem with this whole thing. Peterson is a world famous speaker, writer, podcaster, etc. He may lose his psychology license over this, but 
he's doing fine and he's going to be okay. What about all the small practice people who just want to help others through therapy toward healing and knowledge of their true God-given self? They are subject through this action, through losing their license, through Bill C-4 of actual jail time, and they're not famous, and they may not be able to fight it at all. Sure, it seems like the government is making an example of Peterson. They probably are because he's so famous. But when they get tired of that, what about all the other people? What are they going to do when they start prosecuting all those people? And what about pastors? As I mentioned on the other podcast, it's unclear, but it seems like if you read parts of Corinthians or Ephesians or any of the Gospels or, or other parts in a counseling session— saying that a man is a man or you are not a girl if you're a boy, you could be violative of these statutes. And then what? Are they prosecuted too? This is not a good path for the government to be on. And this goes back to the intro. Intro. If you make your definition of love the foundation of your morality and your code of conduct and your laws that love is love or you define what love is, this is the result. You will literally jail people because they don't agree with you because they, you can't have other ideas in reality, because reality doesn't match your ideas. Whereas if you make God's love your foundation, you'll actually love people. And when you disagree with them about even how people love each other, you don't jail them for it. You love them towards the truth. Sadly, that does not seem to be the world that we are living in more and more. Okay, one final story, and this is a good one because I don't like to end on depressing ones. From drag queen story hour to pastor reading hour or something like that. From my own boss, my own employer at Reformation Seminary, Dale Partridge, to Kirk Cameron and a couple other pastors, there's a growing trend against this drag queen story hour ridiculousness towards reading actual good books in libraries. And I love this. Uh, I'm going to show you this picture. I mean, this is this is the thing, right? This is if you're not watching, it's probably better for you. But this is one of the drag queen story hours. Uh, I can't see which book he's reading here. And I honestly don't care which book. I guess I said he I, I don't know what to, I don't know what to say when all the words and the pronouns don't mean anything. I don't know what to tell you just to describe this person. They're in a white dress, but they're clearly not a girl. And there are like giant horns coming off of the head. And anyway, I'm, I'm done with this. So <clears throat> Dale Partridge, um, head of Relearn HQ and Reformation Seminary, um, whom I work for, he says, quote, why are drag queens seemingly more interested in influencing the children in their community than pastors? Why are the lost more committed to the systematic and cultural evangel evangelization, excuse me, uh, of the public than American Christians are to evangelizing the gospel. Why are we doing this? And and so this is this is a post he did, and uh, I just love that he did this. Partridge leads relearn.org. I mentioned that. He uh, gave an interview to the Daily Wire. He said, these are hard questions and the church needs to face them. Christians need to see that Christianity is a totalizing faith, which means Christ should not be reserved only for church life. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about in this whole thing. And he goes on to say they should saturate and permeate our entire lives. That's exactly right, right? Like we live in the world and so we have to live in the world. Christianity is not just about being at home. It's not just about being at church. It's about everything you do and everywhere you go. And we should act like that. We should live like that. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is my little part to say like, hey, let's do this. This is the year, people. Let's live as Christ wants us to live. 
Partridge said that between 15 and 20 children and a handful of mothers and fathers attended this pastor story hour at the Cottonwood Public Library in Arizona. He read from his book, Jesus and My Gender, which is great, by the way. Uh, he authored to teach a positive view of biblical boyhood and girlhood to young readers. According to Partridge, staff at the library asked him to change the event's name to Pastor's Story, uh, let's see, sorry, Pastor's Story Time for Kids um, to, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. He called it Pastor Storytime for Kids. They wanted them to change to Family Bible Story Hour um, and place the event in the adult section rather than the children's wing, which I think is really interesting. But more uh, from another pastor, Mike Foster, the senior pastor at East River Church. He hosted an event at Claremont County Library with 35 children in attendance. They said that librarians were hospitable. He says, quote, we are a fatherless nation and nature abhors a vacuum. Someone is going to fill that space in our nation. I can let it be some disturbed men in lingerie, or I can let it be a pastor like me. So I stepped up. Men, especially pastors, are called to be community leaders. Talk is cheap. I got a room, set a date, made a Facebook event. It was easy. I love that. We'll give one more point to this uh, because I just, I, I seriously love this story. Kirk Cameron, uh, <laughs> the, the famous guy himself, jumped into this event. And uh, here is, if you're not watching, this is just a line outside the library because he's rather famous. Um, so there were something like a thousand plus people who showed up to his storytime event. Now I know he's not a pastor, but I think this fits into the same type of situation. And I personally love this trend and I hope that we see more of it. The second video is just him in the library. I've cut the audio from this because it's just him screaming, everybody's screaming, everybody's super excited. He actually says, in this video that he they they thought it was just going to be a few people so they had reserved a room and he was going to sit there and tell the story but there were so many people on so many floors of this library that he actually had to use the library's PA system to read to the whole library because there were thousands of people that showed up. I love this. I love this trend. I want to see more of it. Instead of being reactive, let's be proactive. Let's bring the good news of Jesus Christ to the culture in whatever way we can. This is the way forward, and I hope to see more of this as we go into this next year and beyond. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you leading your family, leading your children, leading your community. Go out and do it. Do something. Do whatever you can do. I don't know who you are listening. I don't know what your skills are, but you have them. We talked about that crazy guy the other day. If you didn't listen to the last episode, there's a guy who's called the pro-life Superman, and he climbs a building to raise awareness for pro-life causes. I love this kind of thing. Again, uh, a caveat, disclaimer, don't go climb a building. That's probably not your skill. I don't want you to die. Please don't do that. But whatever your skill is, you should do that. Whether it's talking, whether it's reading at a library, whether it's just raising your kids, those are the important things that you can and should do. I hope that you do those things for Church Public. As always, I'm Matt Odegaard, and I hope that you will keep the faith.